Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Matthew 9 and 35 is the passage of choice this morning. I, we have committed to this pulpit, every speaker that has come up here to speak to you, on the subject of evangelism. If this bores you, then you may want to stay home, I guess, because we're going to be conversing about the necessity of reaching out to the lost. If you don't think that's important now as you sit here, then I don't know what else to tell you. You may want to balance your checkbook or text somebody. But I want to speak to those who hearts have a longing desire to see people saved. You know, for the past few months, uh, every sermon that I've preached up here and every sermon that has been preached up here has been concerning the reaching out to the lost. And why is it that the Lord has just impressed that upon the heart of this pulpit? I really believe it's because the time is near. Some of us may not believe it. Some of us may be living in the times of Peter when people used to say, where is this coming of the Lord? You've been saying he's coming forever. And and yet we see absolutely nothing. We seem to see evil reigning now and taking its course without any kind of challenge. But as we think these things, we need to take the challenge in challenging ourselves. We need to take those words and apply them to us and understand that evil always succeeds when good men do nothing. I wonder if one day when we see the Lord face to face and the Lord reluctantly and sadly has to continuously be telling by the millions of people saying, depart from me, you evildoers. I I never knew you. While the rest of us may be standing on the other side just witnessing what's happening and looking at the faces of torment of the people facing the Lord that day and receiving their judgment, I'm wondering if the Lord, after He's done with the generations that will come before Him, He'll turn to us and for a moment ask us to be solemn and quiet. Maybe it'll be an automatic response for the church to rejoice and say, Oh, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to be praised. Holy, holy, holy. (coughs) Excuse me. And the Lord might ask and demand of us a moment of silence. And might I challenge you possibility to the possibility of maybe him looking at the church and saying, I never thought I'd say, depart from me to so many. In fact, I expected not to had you done your job. You see, every soul in this world, lost or not, belonged to the Lord. Every soul we have been faced with here and has walked and trotted upon the face of this earth belongs to God. No one, unbeliever, the ugliest person in this world in his heart, the most evil does not take a breath 
without it being given to him by God. Every one of us that enjoys the sun rays of the day, the Bible says he makes the sun to rise both upon good and evil. And all these are gentle rebukes to us, the church. <clears throat> to never suppose or think in our hearts that we are superior to anybody else, saved or not saved. Because at the end of the day, we too were lost had it not been for someone who reached out to us. Bible says in the book of Malachi, the closing verses of that, it, it commands of the priests of the house to stand at the gate of the church, the doorway, and to cry out for the souls of men. The souls of men. I'm wondering if because God is so righteous, it'll find it easy within himself say, depart from me, I never knew you, you evildoer. And while he looks at the weeping of women, the weeping of men who thought at one time were strong, their knees will be melted like wax. The young people who thought they had an eternity to live their lives, as he looks at him, at them and says, depart from me, I never knew you. I'm wondering if the Lord will take a deep breath as every time he speaks to a soul, Every soul belongs to the Lord. When he breathed about, upon man, he breathed upon all men. We've dedicated this pulpit for the next, whatever time the Lord allows us, demands of us, commands us to remind the church of the brokenness of God when he dismisses a lost soul to be away from him forever. Matthew 9 and 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Put your hand over your heart this morning. Put your hand over your heart this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person that's placed their hand over their heart, may this word pierce the innermost part of their being. Wake us up, Lord. Stir our hearts. Help us to understand the brokenness of you. 
Help us to learn to weep to the brokenness of you. The brokenness of you, Lord, because of that day that you know is coming. Yet I believe because you are such a loving Savior, you desire not that day to ever come. The day that you will send many away. With every hand upon every heart, Father, I pray that you would stir us. There's nothing I can say this morning. There's nothing I can do for these people this morning. There's nothing I can give them to persuade them, Lord, except you. There's nothing I can do to strong arm them. And there's nothing I can do to force them. There is nothing I can do to convince them, Lord. I'm helpless behind this pulpit. Nothing can I do to move a single thing in their hearts. But as they place their hands on their own will, Upon their hearts. Father, I pray you would take advantage of the opportunity. And you would do only that which you can do. Is to wake us up. Help us to understand. That the time is now. Millions are dying. We've said and spoken this message time and time again. Yet, Lord, we've not seen the lost marching in the church. Yet, we've not seen people accompanied by the lost coming in through the doors of the sanctuary. How easily we forget, Lord. Am I wasting my time standing behind this pulpit year after year? Only... For the listener to walk out and say, oh, that was nice. And forget what was said, Lord. As if it was just an opinion of a finite mortal man who has his own passions and desires. Father, I pray as I submit my mouth and heart to you. You speak to their hearts. You speak to every heart, Father. Show them your heart. Show them the trails, Father, of tears from your eyes. Show them the bleeding of your heart, Father, for the lost. If we claim to be like you, let this be not a lack in fulfilling every characteristic of you. For who you are, Father, matters to us. And you are a broken God for the lost. Help us to be broken as well. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. I've titled this conversation with you this morning. It may sound comical to you. 
but it's in the form of a question, where are the farmers? I was doing a little reading, and I can't give you actual, solid, complete statistics, but from what I learned from reading this, I can give you just a basic view of what we're facing here in America when it comes to crops and fields. One of the biggest threats that we have in America, so we are told, is that foreign countries are purchasing our crop field. And you've heard whether you consider it a conspiracy theory or not. It doesn't matter. I'm not here to talk politics to you. Or I don't care what you believe or not. I'm simply making a point to you. But that's the word. That we're losing a lot of farmland here in our country. And of course, if you look a little further and you start listening to the gossips out there, you'll find it's because simply now they want to control food and all this junk going on. But my point is the loss of fields and food. In our country, we have an estimated, so we are told, over a little over 200 million farmers. Today, around 2 million farmers, when just 30 years ago, we used to have about 240, 250 million farmers. There are the same amount of farms, obviously, for every farmer. There's an allotted piece of land, the average size of four or 500 acres apiece. Now, that's being just separating evenly. I'm sure there's farmers out there that hold, that hold and have thousands of acres. But just statistically, every farmer farms that much land. And the attack has been on the farmers. They can neither plant their food anymore because of economy and because of other things I don't really fully understand. But again, my point being that if the farmers stop farming and producing fruit and the consumers continue to grow, are you listening? If the farmers stop farming, if our land is gone, whether it's sold off or it dries up or the farmers just quit and go start working at some gasoline station and say, we're not going to farm anymore. If they stop farming and the consumers, who are we, continue to consume at the rate that we are today... <coughs> It won't be but a few short years that famine will hit the land like it's never hit before. America is the most, is the grossest throwaway food country in the world. Our trash cans are filled with half hamburgers and chickens and barbecues and everything of all other countries simply and sometimes not even throw away the bones but the consumption is like a machine we're eating boom boom and boom and yet very subtly the farmers are being affected 
And so the, it's simple math. That if you stop producing and you continue to eat, your pantry will be empty one day. Yes? Well, Pastor, are we here on an agricultural study? No, no. But there is a biblical principle behind that. That we need not gloss over. You see, the church is the consumer. You are the one that sits at the table every day. Fajitas and ribs to see what the pastor's cooking. Got some ribs today. Uh, some chicharrones and uh, oh, tamalitos. Ahora we're going to keep going. Ah. Mm -hmm. And no one's bringing any harvest in. Are you following me this morning? I may be done in the next five minutes. If you get it, I'm done. <laughs> if you'll stand up and say, hey, we got it, Pastor. But not just get it. Go out there and do something about it. I'll wait for you here before we close and go get somebody and bring them to church. <laughs> Some of you are going to wait and say, no, I didn't get it. I would challenge anyone to stand up and say, I get it, Pastor. I'll be right back and go bring a sinner and bring him inside the house so we can see him saved. That's what it's come to. We are consuming the word daily. We are now constipated with so much spiritualness. We are so overweight in the gospel in the church. But the fields are barren. No one's picking any harvest. Where are the farmers? If you understand the principle I just gave you concerning our country, you might get a little glimpse of what I'm talking about when it comes to the church. If we stop bringing souls into the house, some of us are well in the age that we're going to die off in the next 15 years. And then you young people will grow just like me and die off in the next few years. And in the next 50 years, the church will be empty. Nobody to carry the cause of Christ. No one to moisten the altar with tears of repentance. No one coming to the house to see their family saved. Simply because we just like a good meal. Some of you are liking me less. You don't like me already. Now I'm really doing a good job. What is our most highest priority, ladies and gentlemen, here at Rock of Ages? If it's not to soul win, then what is? Give me something that's valuable and more important than soul winning. Ask the heart of God. And ask him honestly and go through scripture and find out what is the most important thing to God. Lord, what is most important to you? 
And there is not an ounce of doubt in my heart because I know the scripture that he will say to you without stuttering or hesitation that none be lost. And why such confidence in his statement? Why the emotion that none be lost? Because he paid the highest price. My son died for this. Have you ever complained of an investment you made that someone threw away? Have you ever done, given something over to purchase something or whatever, but because someone didn't follow through, you lost whatever investment it was? It may have been money, it may have been time and work, it may have been whatever, but it's not a son. <laughs> it's not a son. He gave his son. He invested. He, he put all his chips in. When we were just giving card by card, watch, a little coin, a little coin, he said, that Lord said, no, man, I'm going for the whole thing. Here it is. And we still think our investment is more important. Well, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to serve at the church. I don't have time for this. I, and you think you're so important. Give a son. And you will make sure that the church prospers. If you'll pay a son for this church. Is it not to save souls? Luke 4 and 42. I don't know how far I'm going to get in this. Just remember, just if you get it, stand up and say, I get it. I'm getting it, Pastor. It's okay. You won't interrupt me. That'll validate my preaching this morning if you'll just get up and say, I'm getting it, Pastor. Luke 4 and 42. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into the desert place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Sound like Rock of Ages. The Lord comes to Rock of Asia and we say, Lord, don't leave us. Sounds like the people at the upper room. <laughs> this is not, we didn't start this problem. This, this starts with the disciples going out to pray with him and him watching him go off to the Mount of Transfiguration. They went up there and say, let's just stay here. Everybody just wants to stay at church because it's a good place. The music is great. The climate is great. The pews are nice and soft. Friends are here. It's all good. I like it. Pastor, we can go another 30 minutes if you want. It's comfortable here. And so they found Jesus and they said, Lord, stay here. Don't go anywhere. And he gently rebukes them again. Why? Because there is one thing that is most important to God, even being here in this house. <gasps> Pastor, you mean it's not important to God to move in this house? Yes, it is, but not as important. He knows you're saved. He knows that you're saved. He knew these people recognized him as the Savior. And they begged him, Lord, stay here. Don't leave us. But he said, I must leave. I must preach the kingdom of God 
to the other cities. Because for this purpose, and you lose sight of my purpose, for this purpose I have been sent. I didn't come to fellowship with you in a church forever. I wonder how upset the Lord might could be with the church around the world today that is enjoying so much that they stay in church. And all of us think that's a very prosperous church because everybody's here. There's more pride and joy in knowing that everyone is sent. And everyone is sent. For this reason I have been sent. John 20 and 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Don't lose sight of the most important thing in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you so much. I know I kind of sound like my father when I say this. One of these days, you're not going to have me here. One of these days, I'm, you're not going to hear this old man preach to you like this. Then who's going to tell you? Then all I'm going to be is just history. Oh, I remember. He used, remember he used to tell us? And still you're sitting in your couch at home. Still you're nothing, doing nothing else but just sitting in the church doing nothing. No one ever stood up and said, I got it. What is the testimony of our church what do we want to remember, be remembered as? We want to be remembered as a bless me crowd or a people who say, what does the church have for me? Or I love going to Rock of Ages because they tend to all my needs. I like going to Rock of Ages because they have an awesome worship team. I love going to Rock of Ages because my friends go there. I, I love Rock of Ages because they have, uh, they have good, good programs there for our kids. That's how we want this ministry to be remembered. Then we have really missed the mark. All those things are good. Please don't be confused here. Don't let me mislead you. Those things are great. It's good to have good program. We have wonderful Sunday school teachers. We have wonderful children's pastors. We have youth. We have young adults. We have the women's ministry. Now we have our men's uh, ministry going. And the men said, <laughs> and the men said, It's good to be known and remember for things like that. But I'm going to tell you what the Lord is going to remember us for the most. That you had his heart after souls. That you were most like him in the area of soul winning. That you were a great farmer. That you never let the church die out. Though you knew there were many consuming the food, you were the worker that kept bringing the bushels in. Bringing the food in. Bringing the food in. 
God never had to ask you, where are the farmers? He knew you were a farmer. If we lost the farmers in our country, those of us who are so used to just going to a shelf at H-E-B and picking anything we want, do you ever wonder how it got there and where it all began? What makes a church successful are the soul winners in the house of God. Are you with me this morning? This is challenging you. I know it is. I sense it in my spirit. But fire me now. I'm not going to quit. John 3.16. Everyone knows this verbatim. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Some of us ask what is the most important thing in the heart of God? In the heart of Christ? John 6.38. Read that for yourself. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is his priority. This is what he desires the most. All these beautiful things that we have and enjoy here at Rock of Ages are a wonderful thing. We enjoy the fact that we can be provided for musically and provided for ministerially. <coughs> provided for, uh, for socially and friends and everything else. That's a Awesome thing, but here in this passage, you'll find the priority of all things. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For it is my father's will that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Where are the farmers? Where are the farmers? I believe that's a word from heaven today. The Lord sent a farmer from heaven. His name was Jesus. His name is Jesus. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came for the harvest. He came to reach out for the lost. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to wake up to this truth. We need to wake up. There are people dying all around us. I just spoke a sermon to you, just gave you a sermon a couple of weeks ago called Do or Die. Some of you remember that? You remember the challenge that I gave you? No, of course not. I stood you up and I said, close your eyes and the Lord's going to place someone that needs salvation in your heart. You need to go to that person now. How many went? I'm not going to even ask you for a show of hands. Some of you may not even remember the one you, the Lord gave you on that day this morning. I'm just trying to shake your heart a little bit, church. I'm not scolding you. I'm not spanking you. I'm just trying to shake because this is the reality of humanity. This is how we function as carnal people. Out of sight, out of mind. I said, Lord, give them a name. Give them a family. Give them a person in their heart. And I know he did. I know he did. 
I wouldn't have told you unless the Lord spoke to me to tell you. I told you, close your eyes and the Lord is going to place that soul in your heart. And you're going to go to that person. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you forgot that name when you said goodbye to me over here in the back? How many of you forgot that name as you walked out the door? How many of you forgot? Don't even remember the name now. Who was it? That's what we think of evangelism these days, ladies and gentlemen. This is why it's so foreign to us and so impossible for us to understand how missionaries leave their homes to foreign lands. And people go into dangerous grounds on this earth all for the sake of souls. You know why? Because they see the brokenness of God. They care about the Father's tears. They care about the bleeding heart of Jesus. This is why they go. They want to console. They want to comfort the heart of the one who invested everything for the souls of men. But it didn't cost me a thing. It didn't cost me a thing, so why should I worry about it? We are all the harvest of someone who went out to farm for you. I'm so thankful for the one who spoke to me about Jesus. He didn't care if the shovel he had in his hand was going to bruise my skin a little bit. He still told me, Israel, you need Jesus, man. Sister Odilia Chapa just passed on to be with the Lord. We prayed for her. Some of you don't remember hers. But exactly two or three weeks ago, her husband died, Brother Joe Chapa. I know many of you knew them, but Many of you maybe did not. They were quiet people. They really didn't fellowship too much. Brother Joe was quite an introverted individual, didn't really talk too much to a lot of people. And she was so sweet and quiet as well. The ladies knew her because she was, she was a candy. I mean, she was the most special woman that anyone could ever desire to meet and to know and fellowship with. But she just passed on to be with the Lord a couple days ago. But her husband, Joe, as introverted as he was and quiet he was, kind of short for words. Those of you who knew him, is kind of short for words, kind of like, it's a nice day, isn't it, Brother Joe? Yes, it is. It's a lot nicer than that, brother. But that's just the way he was. But I was a nurse, as he was a nurse way before I was, and we worked at the same hospital for several years. And he was one of the OR nurses as I was as well. And every time we went out to lunch, the group of nurses went out to the cafeteria or whatever, and he'd go and sit quietly by himself, a very reserved individual. But any time he cornered me, or when we did a case together, we did surgery together, he was there and he was my nurse. And we would, he'd talk to me, he says, you go in the church? You need to go to church. 
you need Jesus. Okay. And we worked for years, and he never stopped. It seemed like he would bring his shovel to work every day and kind of look for me and go, hey, how you doing? And he'd be working on me. And it would frustrate me at times because I really didn't want to hear that as a lost man. But he would work on me and work on me. And just to know that for the past over 10 years, I was his pastor. I gave my life to the Lord, and he was one of the first people I ever went and said, as a joke, Joe, I said, you know what, man? And I had a tear in my eye. I said, you know what, man? I gave my life to Jesus, man. And I was falling apart in front of him. And what does he do? Well, that's good. I told you you needed Jesus. I thought we were going to melt into each other's arms and we we're going to fall on the ground and cry and swim in my tears and all these things. And he looks at me, he goes, that's good. You needed Jesus. <laughs> you find somebody else will celebrate my salvation. But I thank God for my farmer. I thank God for my farmer. Because had it not be for that one person who would take that hoe and that shovel and work on me and every day and speak to me, and not only him, but a couple of other people who love me enough to offend me, to get in my way, I was living the life. I was a musician. I was a nurse. I made money. I didn't, I didn't need to come and work for some church. I was doing okay by myself. My family was happy. Somebody decided to go out to the field and find this weed. Somebody decided to go out and water this. What they saw in me, I, I thought I was nothing more than some ugly weed in the field. But there was a, a little ounce of grain inside me that they saw that God revealed to them. And they ministered to me and they watered me and they spoke to me and they loved me and they insisted on me and they offended me and they spoke hard to me and then they loved me. And now it's been 40 years that I've been standing behind a pulpit. Where are the farmers? Where are the farmers? Where is your legacy? Brother Joe Chapa has gone to be with the Lord. I'm sure that the Lord said, hey, man, you left a preacher down there. He may have said, yes, I know, Lord. <laughs> what are you leaving behind? Who are you leaving behind? Unless you bring a harvest. You're going to eat all the food and die. Unless you bring a harvest, unless you bring the grain, we're going to eat all the food and we're going to starve. The Bible says that one day people will be in famine for the word of God. 
that leads me to believe that the reason that there'll be a famine in the Word of God is because there'll be no preachers anymore to preach it. One. But because no new preachers were brought into the house to grow. Nobody else was brought into the house to learn the Word of God, to keep preaching the Word. When you leave this place, who's going to sit in your pew? Who's going to worship for you while you're with the Father? Who's going to help in ministry? Who's going to reach out to the lost after you? Where are the farmers? Some of you don't even know what a field looks like. We're such city people. You've never seen grain or, or a harvest field. You, you've never seen an orange grove. You've never gone out to see the souls of people who are dying without Christ. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm done. I'm glad I'm saved. Yeah. But had it not been for that farmer, I wouldn't be. I hope you're glad you're saved. And you're thankful for the farmer that did the work on you. But that farmer picked you so that you might grow up to be a farmer. The old story that you may have heard. I heard this years ago and I've never forgotten it because it shows you about thankfulness. And a lot of the part of, it, of evangelism that that we don't practice evangelism is hardly practiced by a, by unthankful people when you're thankful you you're always doing something in return but i'm wondering if god will look at our unevangelistic ways as unthankful but you remember the story of Zacchaeus that short little guy that heard that Jesus was coming into town and the story goes that he could not see because he was short in stature but he couldn't see through the throngs of people to see the Christ that he longed to see and so he ended up climbing on a sycamore tree and he climbed upon the sycamore tree and he took a look at Jesus at a distance and he could see them And Jesus looked at him. Well, what I'm telling you is biblical, but this part is just part of an illustration. It is said that after the whole meeting at their home and everything else happened, Zacchaeus and his wife were at home. And his wife in the middle of the night noticed that every night around midnight when everybody was quiet and asleep, that Zacchaeus would get up from the bed and he'd leave the house. And she'd notice at first, but maybe he was going out somewhere else. Just, But one day she was curious enough to follow him. 
And Zacchaeus got up, and she got up after him and looked through the window and watched him as he went out to the barn in the back of the house. And he went and got a shovel, and he got a pail of water. And she looked at him, and she stepped out the house from tree to tree, walking behind him, walking behind him. Where's this man going? And he had a pail of water and a shovel. And she kept following him until finally she saw him stop. And where did he stop? He stopped at the sycamore tree. And he took his shovel. And he began to clean out the underside of that tree and made a little canal, a little moat around it. And he took his pail of water and he poured it. And he filled that moat with water under the sycamore tree. And that was his sign of being thankful for someone being there for him tall enough to lift him up to see Jesus. Somebody lifted you up to see Jesus. What are you doing? Are you not thankful? Can you not be a sycamore tree to someone who is short in their sin, in their lostness, in their confusion, in their philosophies? Someone who is short-sighted and cannot see Christ? Someone you can help to lift them up high enough to be able to see Christ? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.